Good morning. It is Tuesday, May 9th, 2017. You are listening to Red Sea Roundup, and I'm your host, Gene Wilhelm. And the the uh, saint of the day that I chose today, which I always try to have one, is St. Beatus of Lundgren. Now, he was a monk, uh, he, and he was called by a monk, uh, and he was baptized in England by St. Barnabas. He was ordained a priest by St. Peter, so he's got pretty decent credentials there. And he is the one who is uh, said to have converted Switzerland. So if you have Swiss ancestry or if you just happen to like Swiss chocolate, today's a good day to pay, pray to St. Beatus. Uh, we've also got some things coming up. This coming Monday, uh, Sunday is Mother's Day. Uh, and on Saturday, and I lost the information exactly about what is going on. It is Our Lady's Brunch over at St. Thomas Aquinas Saturday morning. I'm sure if you called the uh, church office, you'd get some information on that. If you, I think there's still time to uh, register for that, but I'm not sure. The other thing we got coming up was got a lot of young people that are starting new phases of their life because of uh, graduation, and so we're looking for that. And as Adam Earhart is my guest today, he just pointed out that we've got the Feast of the Visitation on the 31st of this month. So there's a lot going on in May. Uh, and uh, I think we have Dennis on the lines. Do we have Dennis at this time? Dennis, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Gene. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you fine. It's like you're just next door. Super duper. I'm uh, just next door in the city of Palestine, Texas. Uh, not overseas, by the way. So. And I am a fan of Swiss cheese. I'm not sure about Swiss chocolate, but Swiss cheese sounds good to me. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm here in Palestine, Texas, uh, helping to put together the third station for Red Sea Catholic Radio. We are uh, in the midst of uh, erecting the tower pole and the antenna this morning, and the electronics rack is in place. and. Got to do a lot of electronics wiring and, and last-minute programming. And uh, hopefully in the next couple of days, we'll have our third uh, installment of Red Sea Catholic Radio here in Texas. Well, that'd be good. And that's outside of the Diocese of Austin, too, is it not? Yeah, we are currently in the Diocese of Tyler right now. And, wow, so that that's really some expansion that we hadn't expected. Well, we've been helping this one group uh, start up their low-power FM station here in Palestine for uh, about a year now and uh, knew that this this day uh, or two would be coming. We've been building their, their rack in uh, the Bryan College Station area, and I just trucked it up here yesterday. And uh, it's something we've been anticipating and working with them on, and so they'll be carrying our full signal and, and actually be carrying some Spanish programming in the evenings as well. So they're, Okay, that is they're, great. It'll be a, a station owned and operated by Sacred Heart Catholic Church here in Palestine, but it'll be officially uh, one of our affiliates because we're helping with their operational services and with their localization services as well. So today would be a good day to for everybody to pray that, that there aren't any glitches in how everything hooks together and how it powers up, <laughs> right? There, we, we'll pray for there to be no more glitches. How's that? Okay. Now, how, how soon do you think that the station is going to be ready to broadcast? Uh, ideally, it would be great to have it on the air uh, sometime later tonight or tomorrow, um, but you never know. Um, with audio processing and all that, we've got to hook up through the transmitter. It, just, it's, it takes a while to get all these yes. things to sync together. Uh, once they do, they're set usually for a while, but uh, to get them all synced together now, it takes, takes some time. 
So what are the call letters of this station, and what, what are, is the frequency of the station for those people who have friends in Palestine? Okay, they're going to be able to find this on KINFLP, which means low power, and it will be at 107.9, and they're at the very top of the dial. How, how great to be at the top of something. Yeah, I guess you could call it spectrum these days rather than dial, huh? Yeah, I guess so. Or radio spectrum at least. So, yeah, it's it's um, it's exciting. They're very excited here, and they uh, are hosting the radio room in the Knights of Columbus Hall. They uh, put up a really nice dedicated air conditioning unit uh, for this room alone. So they're really excited and dedicated, and it's going to cover the entire community of Palestine and just beyond. So it's about a 10-mile to 12-mile radius from the antenna. Do so you, it, it'll cover the whole community. What is the potential audience there? Or do you know? You know, I don't know the actual population is here in Palestine. I know that they have 1,100 families here at uh, Sacred Heart Catholic Church. And is that the only church in Palestine? Is that the only church in Palestine? It is. Okay. It is. They've got two priests there and, and uh, about a 50-50 English and Spanish population. So okay. they're, they're both... Very vibrant communities here, and people are very excited and volunteering their time already. I've got a ham operator. I've got multiple construction workers here. I've got a retired dentist that's, you know, <laughs> in charge of it all. Go figure. Don't open your mouth uh, too yeah, wide. Been, yeah. They, they, uh, they are uh, very much looking forward to having Catholic radio, as, as we all know well, in the Brazos Valley yes. and in Central Texas now. So greetings to everyone in Central Texas and the Brazos Valley here from our neighbors in Palestine. Okay, so thank you, Dennis, for calling in and giving us that update. I really appreciate that. Thank you all very much, and uh, you all have a great day. And, Adam, thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Dennis. Okay. Right, we'll talk to you all soon. Keep us in prayers. We right, will God do bless. that. Have you, got any, have you got anything, Thaddeus, or we could go to an early break? Okay, that Thaddeus is saying my throat is not doing well today, so. He doesn't want to talk. He sounds good to me, but that's okay. So why don't we go to an early break? We've got a lot to cover with Adam Earhart, and so we'll do that early today. Welcome back to Red Sea Roundup, and I'm Gene Wilhelm, your host, and my guest today is Adam Earhart. And if you want to join in on our conversation today, you can dial or press the buttons for 85-LOVE-RED-SEA. That's 855-683-7332. And Adam is here to talk with us about Mary and all things that we can think of about Mary, since May is the month of Mary. And, yes, uh, sir. Praise God. It is. Uh, you know... We talked a little bit about this. Excuse me, Gene, before you all get started. Who is Adam again? Adam Earhart. Oh, he, he's this guy that drifted in from Philadelphia and decided <laughs> he wanted to take up residence in College Station. An endless drifter, yes. Uh, who, who wanted to be a part of the St. Mary's ministry group here. Yes, uh, and to also take part in this illustrious uh, ministry of uh, Dennis, Thaddeus, and Jeans and evangelizing over the radio waves. Okay. Uh, 
Adam, when we talked, I mentioned a little bit about about Our Lady of Guadalupe, which is which people in this part of the country are very familiar with Our Lady of Guadalupe, uh, yes, having such a large Hispanic population, and uh, the feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe is very prominent here. Mm-hmm. And uh, if for our for our Catholic friends, and even for our Protestant friends who don't think that Mary is really mentioned in the Bible that much, or what what Catholics think about Mary, uh, they just need to go to the first uh, verses of uh, Revelation chapter twelve. That's right. Yes. Because if you look at Revelation chapter twelve, she says she's arrayed with the stars, the sun behind her back. She's standing on the moon, and that's exactly what the uh, the image that was put on the tilma was for uh, Juan Diego. So we can see uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe is really something that, that is great for us. Yes, it's a beautiful um, embodiment or, or portrayal of, of the reality that um, the woman uh, awaiting to give birth to the Messiah is also the people of Israel as well. And the, and the church fathers have always seen um, the unity here, the connection between Mary and the church. And this is something that gets highlighted more deeply um, in Vatican II as, as well as the preceding uh, generations. So this is something we can explore a little deeply. Now, deeply. a lot of people either get very turned on or very turned off when we start talking about Mary's. And, and you and I also talked a little bit about how some people either are too turned on or they're not turned on at all. They're either uber-Catholic about Mary or they're just laissez-faire Catholic when it comes to Mary. Right. And why do you think that is? Well, I think there's a lot of um, historical context or history that goes into this. Um, the, the fundamental thing we need to hold on to as Catholics or as Christians uh, in general is that Mary is not an addendum to the Christian faith, right? She's actually an, an essential part to it. And this isn't obviously something that we place just as, you know, something that comes from her. This is God's plan. This is God's eternal will. Mm-hmm. That there would be a, a, um, a particularly blessed created being um, that would participate actively in the salvation of all mankind. Um, so this is, this is a mystery. This is a truth that is wedded um, to the mystery of Christ himself, uh, the incarnation. And... Um, so there's this reality that there's this really exalted um, place for Mary and Mariology in, in the church, and it always has been um, this uncovering of, of this mystery over the centuries. Um, but at some point, um, I guess, it, there's this figure of the spirit of Vatican II, right, that um, after Vatican II, there's a decrease in Marian devotion, Whereas uh, there's also a decrease in Eucharistic benediction, Eucharistic adoration, and, and Pope Benedict uh, the Sixteenth um, addressed this in 2005 in his uh, Christmas address, where he says that it, it all comes down to a hermeneutic. It's and explain that word because that's a, a very good churchy word that yeah, a lot of people oh, may yes. not understand. Let me get down from my churchy. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not no, condemning no, I'm you. I just I a lot of people aren't going to understand what hermeneutics Absolutely. is. Absolutely. It, uh, it, in general terms, easy terms, it's like a key of interpretation. It's the way we approach a text. Um, we can approach it with all kinds of preconceived uh, notions or preconceptions, um, but a hermeneutic is a way of deciding. You know how are we going to approach this text, and what way are we going to look at it, and to receive what it's trying to give to us? 
So when we look at Vatican II, Pope Benedict is trying to highlight the fact that if we approach it with a hermeneutic of, you know, the Vatican II is here to bring, usher in something different, something that is divisive or causing a, um, a clear rupture from the past or tradition, then we might tend to highlight or perceive things in, in different ways. Whereas uh, Pope Benedict wanted to highlight the fact that the church is um, a continual thread of an yes. uncovering of the mystery of, of the revelation of God and the truth therein. So to, to highlight a hermeneutic of continuity helps us to understand that we need to not dispel Marian devotion in the past ages. It's a way for us to recover the most traditional and the most truthful portion of that uh, devotion. And that What um, I have always seen in Vatican II is that its real purpose was return Catholicism to its roots. Mm-hmm rather than to some big rupture. That's with right. The, and because there have been, there were some things that crept into Catholicism mm-hmm. uh, that, that we, weren't, we weren't as devoted as we should have been in the proper way. Right. And, and Vatican II was an, an attempt to bring us back to uh, really understanding what God wants and mm-hmm. be more open to the Holy Spirit speaking to us and so I'm sure it's the same thing with Mary in this case. Oh, abs- absolutely. Um, there was there was definitely it's it's curious to note that um, when it comes to uh, the document on Mary, which is Chapter Eight of Lumen Gentium, which is a document on the Church, and Lumen Gentium is Light of the of the Nations, right? Light of the Nations, yes, and and that is the document of on the Church that the Council prepared for the Church, and there was uh, a vote to see if they would have a a separate Marian document or to put it within the document on the church. And this is by far the closest vote. Mm-hmm. Now, usually when they vote it, there would be a 90% uh, affirmation, you know. Um, with this particular instance, there was 17 votes that decided whether it would be its own document or put into the document on the church. So ultimately, it was decided to be the last chapter on the document of the church, and some people saw that as a um, you know dismantling of of Mary from her throne, or like trying to just say, oh, she doesn't deserve a document in and of itself. But the council fathers wisely, you know, saw the fact that the the connection of Mary not as some kind of isolated thing, as actually being a person that embodies both um, Israel's longing for God and the Messiah, and also the mother of the church. But um, to also highlight her intrinsic relationship to the incarnation, right, and, and to her son himself. So you, you, from what I hear you're saying is that probably putting it in on the document on the church itself, it, it actually made the whole business of Marian devotion and how we approach Mary very integral into the way the church is supposed to function. That's right. That's right. And, and, and the very idea of discipleship and following the Lord and, and receiving him into our own hearts. Now she did that very, very prominently at the Annunciation. Oh, that's correct. And uh, the Annunciation was always seen as as um, this intersection, right? This point in which the long-awaited Messiah is is you know being announced, like it's here, right? The fullness of time has come. And obviously, you know, there's so much there. I mean, we talk about all the Marian dogmas, and they're all present there, except for the Assumption. But everything in seed form is is in this moment. And um, I, uh, there's this beautiful poem by Denise Levertov that, that 
goes through the Annunciation and and tries to unpack the the beauty and the mm-hmm. mystery of this moment. And I was wondering if it'd be okay to yeah go ahead kind of read through a couple pieces of this. So this is Annunciation by Denise Levertov, not in its entirety, just a couple stanzas. And somebody could Google if they like this, they can Google it and find, find yes, it. Yes, absolutely. If they can spell Levertov. Yes, L <laughs> E V E R T O V. Okay. okay. Uh, it starts out like this. We know the scene, the room variously furnished, almost always a lectern, a book, always the tall lily. Arrived on solemn grandeur of great wings, the angelic ambassador, standing or hovering, whom she acknowledges a guest. But we are told of meek obedience. No one mentions courage. The engendering spirit did not enter her without consent. God waited. She was free to accept or to refuse, choice integral to humanness. So that's the first stanza, and and it really brings out a lot for us to uncover. And sometimes we read through the scripture as if it's just some wooden kind of, uh, you know, retelling of some historical event, which which it is a historical event. But to uncover the mystery of this, this this freedom, this this obedience that isn't just meekness, it's courage, because it. In its consent, is God's waiting for the human person to truly receive what He tries to give, what He wants to give. And, and what has always struck me so much about the Annunciation and Mary's yes is that she knew that she stood a good chance of being stoned to death mm-hmm. for being pregnant, and Joseph wasn't the father. Absolutely, absolutely. And that shows you were talking about the courage, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so for us, are we willing to make the right decisions to say yes to God when we run the risk of being stoned or martyred mm-hmm. in any particular way or just killed for, for making the right choice? Yes, and I, I think this really highlights the fact that Mary um, embodies or personifies it or puts in the flesh the, the, the realization of the person who actually uh, awaits God's word, right? She says, "I'm the handmaid of the Lord." It's this, it's this attentiveness, this uh, openness, this this listening for, and it's a beautiful. There's a beautiful um, piece of art. Um, it's an icon, the Byzantine icon of the 12th century. And it's in the uh, Saint Catherine Monastery in Sinai, and it it depicts Mary and Gabriel, and there's all these intricate things in art. Uh, um, I'm not an art historian, but there's this beautiful piece where you know her left ear or one of her ears is uncovered it's partially uncovered and there's a sense of like highlighting that she was the listening one right the poor one the the anawim the 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 faithful faithfully waiting one of israel the one who is ready to receive and it's the anawim the poor the helpless is the one that god has I mean, from the Old Testament, God is saying those are the ones that everybody's supposed mm-hmm. to pay attention to. Those are the ones whom God really hears. Uh, yes. And so that's, that's I, I hadn't heard that before. Yes, and also we, we hear this in the Magnificat, right, when she's, we're going to be celebrating the visitation on May 31st, and we hear in the Magnificat, um, you know, this inversion of what we would kind of assume is like worldly value of like the strong or the powerful or the rich as being the ones that are blessed or the ones that are... Uh, given God's blessing, but Mary, you know, um, proclaims the greatness of the Lord through her lowliness, through her poverty, 
And it's it this echoes the song of Hannah, right, in one Samuel two. Yes. Where she's she does the same thing. And and this is actually a thread throughout the Old Testament where we see these these feminine figures, these strong leaders, these these saviors of Israel, like Judith and Esther. Now we see it in Deborah and all these um um also in, in, in like how this infertility, right? The the women that were infertile are the ones that are most fecund, right? The most fertile. Right? We have Sarah. Right and uh, Rachel and and um, so and Hannah right and and we have this this inversion of what we would assume to be you know worldly blessings and God saying no there's there's spiritual truths and these these open these points of openness to the Lord these points of depending upon the Lord in a sense uh, uh, Joseph Ratzinger Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger highlights this in his book The Daughter's Ion or Daughter's Ion and he talks about the thread of the Old Testament. Um, where these meetings of people, these this reception of people to God's will, to God's uh, creative fecundity, fecundity, God's creative will. And fecundity means fertility. Right. right. Um, God's power to create mm-hmm. in the midst of emptiness, in the midst mm-hmm. of this nothingness, this this openness, is um, this is recasting the truth that in a great sense was rejected in the Garden of Eden. This utter dependence on God as having the power to do that which we could never do. That we're hope, in a sense, giving up like we cannot do. We, we understand it's beyond us. Um, so we see in the Garden of Eden this, um, since Adam and Eve couldn't possibly be attracted to base things, right? Because they've been given such gifts and such graces. Um, the only thing they could be attracted to was to, to grasp at God's sovereignty, God's freedom, God's independence in a sense. Whereas, you know, it's kind of them rejecting their creatureliness. So throughout the Old Testament, we have these figures that in their very recognition of their creaturely limitations are there receiving the great power of God. These are very powerful women that are recognized. I mean, yes, uh, in a culture that was uh, very male-oriented, these mm-hmm. women were held up as role models right and and also we have in this this kind of typology which is like seeing in types uh in the old testament the anti-type which is in christ and the fulfillment of the new testament but we see this um throughout uh the, the whole story right this you know the whole biblical story the whole story of salvation history is a family story and it's a story of love it's a story of god's everlasting love his unflinching um love his steadfast love. And so we see this in the covenantal bond between God and his people. And over and over again, this is highlighted in marital terms. The covenantal bond between God and his, his beloved, his bride. Mm-hmm. And Israel is this, this bride, right? We see in Hosea, this God's highlighting this, that you know, when you uh, are idolatrous, you're adulterers, right? You're, you're, you're leaving this, this, this loving bond that we have in, and my love is not going to change, you know? Um, so we see that Israel, Israel herself is the daughter of Zion, the, the bride that God um, hungers for, that God protects and God pursues. So uh, that brings up an interesting point too, Adam, in that uh, we, we see also in the new Testament where the, Church is considered the bride of Christ again right. in Revelation, as I recall, right. and and Mary is the mother of the church. Mm-hmm. So there's even 
so the the Israel of the New Testament is really the church, is it not? That's right. That's correct. And there's this beautiful um, that that goes back to what you started with, you know, Re- Revelation twelve, where we can see um, the woman in the pangs of birth being the church, birthing uh, disciples of Christ, right? But we also see that woman as Mary, and there's this beautiful identification um, with Mary in the church. But there's also this reality that um, God uncovers his uh, intentional gaze, his, his particular gaze on a person, right? Like Mary as a person is, is still very much alive and interceding and has a role as mother. So this is a beautiful thing that sometimes we, we lose when we, when we kind of always just seek to find the analogous connection between Mary and the church. We forget that she also still has a pivotal, uh, unique um, role in the, in the, in the church. Uh, Bishop Barron had a, uh, a homily he did back in 2015, I think it was on December 11th, where he talked about Our Lady of Guadalupe, and he talked about how what she did is he, she, destro- she dethroned uh, the the uh, idolatry of Mexico, and mm-hmm. uh, he says uh, La Morena had proved more effective a more effective evangelist than Peter, Paul, Saint Patrick, or Saint Francis Xavier combined. So she, there were like nine million people that were converted mm-hmm. within ten years of Our Lady of Guadalupe there. Yeah. So, so people people are hungry for a mother that loves them, aren't they? Oh, absolutely, and we see this in the visitation also, right? That um, the theme that we kind of receive from the visitation, especially at the church highlights in the, in the liturgy, is that there's this mission. And Vatican II, again, uh, really brings up the fact that, you know, this is a missionary church, right? We're missionary disciples. And what does Mary do after she receives the word, right? She doesn't just hold on to it and assume that, you know, that's all she needs to do is be this vessel for or this conduit through which God is going to take on flesh, she goes out, right? Mm-hmm. And she goes to serve. She goes out in her humility to go serve her cousin. And it's also this beautiful inauguration of the good news, right? It's the first time where someone calls Jesus Lord. Is Okay, a, uh, yes, that's true. Right? So Elizabeth says, the mother of our Lord, the my mother of our Lord, will come to me. And, and this is a beautiful... Um, mystery that we need to uh, recover uh, um, in this instance that um, it's a model of our receptivity of Christ, our conceiving Christ in ourselves in some sense, and bringing him to others. And we see this in Our Lady of Guadalupe, right? Is that yeah. that's what converts, is that she's a symbol of the true God. She's bearing the true God. Forth, bringing the true God to them. That's what we're supposed to do. That's right. That's and right. Uh, what, what strikes me uh, about the visitation, too, is that Mary didn't think about all the stories she heard about morning sickness and all mm-hmm. the things that were going to happen to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, she, didn't, she didn't get out of town so she wouldn't be stoned, but she mm-hmm. went out of town to serve somebody else. That's right. That's right. And she did not, she did not tell Elizabeth who she had conceived in her right. womb. Right, Elizabeth figured it out. I mean, we see actually in the scriptures that the Holy Spirit, right, inspires Elizabeth at that moment. So it's a very interesting and very weighty um, text where it says the Holy Spirit inspires her to say these words. 
this is a beautiful um, interpretation or a beautiful reality here if we unpack these words, that the Holy Spirit is, is present in all of this. The Trinity is present in all of this uh, happening. So it's not like these are texts that we can just kind of get over so we can just see, you know, Christ um, as a fully grown man, right? The hiddenness of Christ, the hidden life of Christ, his life with Mary and, and Joseph and the Holy Family is, is a pivotal aspect, right? I mean, all these things, like Christ came to give life and to give it abundantly, right? So we see the entirety of his life as having redemptive value. In fact, um, it's really not um, honoring the integrity of the entire story of salvation history and the entire story of the Redeemer if we only, like, focus on the cross, right? I mean, the incarnation itself is something that has a real weight, right? It's part of that redemption without Christ's humanity, the sacrifice does not um, stand, right? If it hadn't been the God-man, it That's wouldn't right. have counted for anything. That's right. So the incarnation is is a pivotal moment that we need to honor in its depth to really understand the cross. Do you have something that you can tell folks? How, how, how can we learn from the visitation to change our lives? Women might find it more easy to relate to Mary than men. What what can either men or women get out of the uh, incident of the visitation that would motivate them to become more like Mary? That's a good question. I think a lot of it is is um, a lot of our understanding of this this event in our lives, whether man or a woman, is to to try to understand that there needs to be a space, right? I mean, we look at the Annunciation; there needs to be an openness to God's word. There needs to be an attentiveness and, you know, a listening. Um, there needs to be a receptivity. I don't care how masculine you are. We need to be able to receive uh, from God. It's not, I mean, we we give a lot, right? We're meant to give. But also in this moment with our relationship with God, we're meant to be in that dependence. We're meant to receive in all of the humility that we've been made for, to understand that, you know, um, we are who we are and God is who he is. And in this kind of, um, hunger for him um, to be open to his initiative to love us. And I, I'm going to digress here just a little bit, but when I see the only places where Joseph is really mentioned is at the at the finding in the temple. Mm-hmm. But before that, he's mentioned that he is there to support Mary in spite of the shame that would come on him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was he was there. Yeah, uh, he was visited by the angel and said, "Take Mary into your house." And it says that he he got up in the morning and did that. Mm-hmm. He was told to take Mary and the the, the child and his mother and go to Egypt, mm-hmm. it, and he did it in the middle of the night. Yes, he was told to go back to the land of Israel, and he did it. And uh, it would have been very easy for him to say, "I got my own life to live," mm-hmm. because uh, obviously, if he had been in Nazareth, he. Had, he had his business established in Nazareth. He spent time in Bethlehem for maybe a year or two and then reestablished his business there and went to Egypt. Of all places to go, why Egypt, the place, mm-hmm. the place that's slavery? Mm-hmm. And he went there in protection, and he, he was the protection for Mary. Absolutely. And, and us men are supposed to be protecting the Marys in our life. That's right. That's right. That's right. And also there's that receptivity in, on Joseph's part you know, as well, is, you know, he's open to uh, the Word of God and obedience and following. It's it's the uh, obedience of faith, right, that St. Paul highlights so often. It's not just, you know, some 
ambiguous notion of uh, some intellectual assent. You know, there's this demand um, that God, you know, God honors in some sense, uh, in, in a very real sense, our humanity, our calling to greatness, right? He doesn't accept uh, expect us not to uh, respond to him or just to kind of uh, be some kind of puppet or some kind of tool, right? Mm-hmm. He wants us to actually participate in his will, in his salvific will for all, all mankind. So there's this, I mean, this is something that is highlighted in the Holy Family. It's highlighted in Mary as well as Joseph, is this God does not uh, wish to save us without us, what Augustine's, Augustine says, right? He made us without us, but he does not wish to save us without us, without our freely consenting. You were talking about faith a minute ago, and James is so specific about that mm-hmm. that he, he tells us that faith without works is worthless. And mm-hmm. He says t- faith without works is dead. Mm-hmm. And he says, you have faith and I have works. The mm-hmm. demons believe and they shudder. Yes. So just the faith itself is not enough. Right. And and both Mary and Joseph, but Mary we're talking about today, had the faith and she did the works. She said right. yes and she did what she needed to what God had asked her to do. Right. And I think this is beautifully fleshed out in the stories of the Annunciation and the Visitation, right? She we're called to receive Christ into our hearts, into our lives, and then to go out, right? And we see this um this this beautiful reality taking place in these historical events. And um, it's it's almost like, you know, Augustine said that Mary conceived Christ in her heart before conceiving him in her womb. There's this profound reality there that, you know, um, the ascent, the fiat, right, let it be done to me according to thy word, is is a, is a recasting of, of your very vision of your place in the world. It's a, your place in the universe, you know. Uh, the place of mankind is to be receptacles of what God is designed to give his very life, participation in his life. But from that point, it's not enough to just, um, just receive it. He wants to bring us to a point of participating, right? Because we're participating in his divine life and his divine life is always giving, is always pouring itself out, uh, for, for man, for his creatures, for his creation. And it's this, this, we see Mary as this pivotal point where if we like really honor Mary and, and Joseph and the great saints, you know, we realize that um, what Mary more particularly, that if we understand what God is doing, we understand the nature of grace. We understand that grace is not overwhelm freedom or overwhelm nature. It perfects it. Right. And there's this, God wants us to be perfectly. He is perfect. Now, in your own life, uh, and I hope I'm not embarrassing you here, but you're traveling from Philadelphia to College Station is, uh, in a sense, a visitation of your own, Hmm. isn't it? I mean, and you you wanted to minister in the Philadelphia area, Mm -hmm. weren't able to, and God called you to College Station. So, and that that had to be hard to leave family and uh, and friends behind. Hey, and it was, uh, Gene, but I gotta gotta be honest here. I mean... um, my humility is uh, not not on par with uh, um, Mary uh, or even the great saints. So there's a lot of self-interest in it for me, too. Like, this is work I really wanted to, you know, do personally. So there was pain in, in leaving home, but there was also some, a little bit of like, hey, this is, like, I don't have to work in a machine shop anymore or work in the factory. You know, I can do something I love. 
So it was, it was not to say that um, doing God's will needs to be something that is dour, you know, it should be joyful and, and fulfill your desires in your heart. Um, but uh, there is a sense in which I'm still working on trying to understand um, like what God wants of me down here. Um, it's been very humbling to see the students and their, their, uh, de- how devoted they are and their piety and trying to uncover a lot of what God's trying to give to me. So I need to be more receptive. I'm trying to be more receptive. To I'm going to go back into your life, too. Uh, when, when you were on this program the last time, you talked a lot about how Mary had a very prominent place mm-hmm. in your reconversion to Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Would, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, the, Mary— the, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, it's, it's, uh, Mary was always um, a, point, a, a person for me who was very real, her, her maternal— um, Love was always some something that I've never doubted uh, in a sense, even though I I never was able to articulate it or there was this kind of ambiguous uh, sense of this uh, attentiveness. But as I started to come back to Catholicism, Mary always just spoke very tenderly to me. Always always touched my heart in places that that made me confident in the church, made me confident in the church's message, and most importantly, made me confident and who Jesus was and what he wished to do in my life, you know, what what he was saying to me. There was always this sense that Mary could not, even if, you know, if you approach Mary, that there's no way, if you're approaching the real Mary, there's no way she could detract from Christ. There was always this common sense, like intuition in my faith that always, I never like saw Mary apart from Jesus. Actually, for me to approach Mary helped me to understand Jesus in ways that I couldn't imagine. Like, I'm a guy, right? And I can't imagine nursing an infant at my breast, right? But just to think of the the almighty God, right? You know, the the God who created the mighty mountains and the, the, the majestic sea to be, to be, you know, could hold a star, you know, as if it was nothing. And to come down as an infant and to have a human person, a human creature, to receive that gift and to be able to look down and see him, like sustain, being sustained by her. The, the, the fact know? that you and your mother had such a good relationship with each yeah. other, did that help you to understand the maternal love of Mary more? Oh, I, th- I think so. I think, yeah, th- there's, a, there's a, a human element here that, you know, if your mother was uh, loving and tender and nurturing um, and even challenging, you know, it's not like motherhood is just some kind of passive, oh, you're so good, or some kind of uh, a role where you just kind of, you know, delude your child <laughs> to think they're better than they are. It's, there's this, you know, calling to task as well. Like, that's not who you are. You know, I, I, there's, a, there's a role in motherhood as well as fatherhood, this parenthood, but especially moms kind of like, you could do something, and then your mother looks at you and you go, oh, you know, she sees right through my lie, or she sees, yeah. like, right to me and she knows who i am and in, in the very you know but she still loves you yeah absolutely absolutely there's this uh beautiful reality there so yeah i, th- I think there's truth to that and, you know when you have a good relationship with your mother it might be a little easier to uh, accept mary as your mother what uh what do you think is the most important thing that people can do to improve their relationship with mary and their understanding of mary I, w- I would say that um, if there's any fear that it's any attention given to her will detract from Christ, I would say that the first thing we need to do is 
is not be afraid of that. Um, the fact is, is that Jesus's love and his power and his glory is not something that's like, you know, divided into pieces. And, you know, when he shares that with us, it doesn't diminish. Um, when he shares that with his great saints, it doesn't diminish. There's a reality that God delights in the fact that his creature participates in his work and shares in his life. That's what he desires most. And when we approach the reality of Mary as a as a living person, you know, assumed into heaven as our, an intercessor along with Jesus, not, you know, equal to, but subordinate to, and surely. But, you know, that, that Christ doesn't, you know, he's not stingy with his grace, right? I and mean, we know this in the depth of our Christian belief that he shares. We leave more grace on the table than... We, than uh... That's right. It's like when a parent delights in a child... Um, sharing in something they've given, a gift they've given to him, or delights in a child that can help his other or his siblings or his other children or his grandchildren, right, to to grow in something that he given he's given them. So it, it's just, there's this reality that it's tied with the very nature of who we are as people, the very nature of ourselves as the body of Christ. We're not like apart from Christ. We're not, you know, we, we rely on Jesus, right? And Jesus is the source of everything, right? He's the fount of all of all grace, but he, he so chose that, you know, he wants us to have a participation in this. Occasionally we have people who are not Catholic that mm-hmm. listen to this program. Do you have anything you could say to someone who is not Catholic that maybe is really turned off by the whole concept of Mary? Mm-hmm. And, and how, how can you help? How, what would you say to them to be more open to Mary and, and it's, Accept Mary as as mother. I would say it's really helpful uh, if there's a hesitance um, from a non-Catholic to, I mean, your intention for for not accepting, you know, Mariology or Marian dogmas, you know, is a good intention because you you fear that she might detract from Christ or diminish the faithful's attentiveness or attention to Jesus as their Savior. But I would say that it's important to honor what the Bible says. I mean. We say not a lot said about Mary, but what is said of Mary is very profound. And to honor that and to not look at it as if, you know, what's in the Scripture, uh, don't, don't approach it with the hermeneutic, right, the, interpret, the key of interpretation. Don't, don't approach it with suspicion. Like, let the, let the Spirit speak to you and, and say why. why. Why? If you could have done this in any way, God, if you're all-powerful and almighty, and you're so wise and you're perfect. Why do it in this way? Why through a human why have a human person cooperate with the fullness of grace? Why have a human person cooperate in utter freedom? What like why? Why would you do it in this way? There's there's something in it for us. There's something there that we can receive from the Lord that and it's calling us to receive our, our mother as well. And then look at the foot of the cross, right? We see this. Like Jesus, one of the last things he does is gives John gives the church a mother, right? His mother. There's a reality here, but also the history, history of the church. Go to the history of the church. Do not, you know, assume that, you know, Christianity was just something that was hobbling on its legs until, you know, only recently. And then we're just getting back to, you know, what it truly was. Try to give, um, try to revere Christ's words when he says that, you know, he will be with his church, right? That that he give, he'll give the spirit to his church. Like, what does that church look like throughout the centuries? What was their way of approaching Mary? You know, we see in the history of the church, we see the Eve-Mary parallel, like where a virgin um, uh, cooperated in our fall 
And so God made sure a virgin was going to cooperate in our salvation. We see that in the Proto-Evangelium, Genesis 3.15, where, you know, God assures that, you know, from a woman, her offspring will crush the head of the serpent, right? There's this, there's a very biblical strain of thinking that we have to understand that God's um, election, God's, God's predestination of Christ's coming, of God becoming man, includes a virgin, includes the embodiment, the perfection of Israel in a woman, includes this uh, figure who we can't just shy away from or ignore. It's actually an essential part of our Christian belief. So it's not something that, um, in many ways, it's not something like we can't understand Christ or approach Christ, but I, I, I would say that we wouldn't be able to accept the fullness of the Christian message without truly unpacking why God would so choose to do it in this way. Why the incarnation in this way? Why Mary? Why Mary with Christ, working with him? Uh, and, and of course, the, if you already mentioned at the foot of the cross, how Mary was given as, as mother for the church, for us as individuals. Mm-hmm. The, the thing that, <clears throat> that speaks most loudly to me about who Mary is and what she does is at the wedding feast of Cana, mm. where she... Somebody comes to her, and she intercedes on behalf of the bride and the groom and the and the bride's father. Yes. And then what she says is, is so telling. Go do whatever he tells you to mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. And and if we, if we look at Mary from that perspective, then maybe it's a little easier for us, whether we're Catholic or non-Catholic, to see what the, one of the roles that Mary has and one of the primary roles that she has for her of God's people. Absolutely. And and it's it's beautiful you bring up the Gospel of John because we see uh, Christ address her as woman several times. And there's this beautiful um, calling back to, or recalling the Garden of Eden, right? The woman, mm-hmm. the mother of all the living. You know, uh, the church always says that Mary's our mother in the order of grace. It's, it's like the living in Christ, right? The people enlivened by the Holy Spirit, enlivened by this identification with Christ, um, they have as mother Mary, right, in a very real way. So this calling back to woman is to kind of a lot of church fathers and a lot of theologians have seen this as a connection with Eve, connection with a recreation, a new creation that is inaugurated with the coming of Christ and the incarnation. All of us guys in particular have had times in our lives when our mother went to our fathers and said, cut him some slack. Mm-hmm. And that's what Mary does for us too, isn't it? I think so. I think she has a real uh, place. I mean, th- there's also an understanding of her as queen mother, right? There's the Old Testament um, role of queen mother where she is an important figure in the role of any king, is the mother of the king. Well, the mother of the king was actually more important than the king's wife. That's right. She she maintained the title queen because uh, the king could have several wives, as we know, and, and it was kind of, that would have been warring or contention within the king, the kingdom itself for this vying for power. So the the queenship always was retained by the mother of the king. So there's this beautiful reality that people would go to the queen often to get the king's ear, you know, in a sense. And I think this also could be misunderstood as like, uh, oh, well, then you're not going to go directly to Christ. You're going to go to somebody else because you're afraid. And that's a misunderstanding of who Christ is and his mercy and his desire for your heart and all this. But the reality is, is, you know, let's highlight again that Christ chooses to have 
us participate. And like when we understand that he doesn't stingily hold on to all the power and all the glory and all this, that's really fundamental to us being receivers of what he's trying to give. And it's not just so we can receive and be saved. Right? Well, in, in a real sense, I, I think about how in our worldly lives, we do what we call networking, where mm-hmm. we find this one, that one, and the other one, who will go and intercede with us to get us oh, to absolutely. the person that we really want to talk with. Absolutely. And I, I think there's there's a reality here, too, is, is when we share this with um, our mother, when we share this with Mary, when we go to her and pray, pray to her and ask for her intercession, ask for her prayers— it's not ever separate from Christ. We understand it's Christ working through her, Christ choosing to do his will through her, uh, Christ, uh, Christ desiring to give grace through her. It's not like, um, you know, this is a separate entity. We're going to somebody who knows, you know, who can actually intercede in a way where, say we have a desire or a motive or an intention, right? And we're going and we're, we're asking for insight on this, and and you know sometimes it's good to, to um, be able to open this up to somebody else's pers- perspective so that it can purify it and help us kind of work through it. And Mary intercedes in that fashion as well. She she's able to purify that which we we don't we're not able to purify yet. So even with our intentions to go to Christ, hey, we, we're desiring this to allow Mary to be a part of this to help us go to Christ with the right intentions, right? To, to kind of, you know, she can kind of perfect our imperfections in a sense to allow us to go to Christ with the, you know, in the right fashion. It's almost like um, our perspective is so limited. Uh, Mary helps us have a more expansive perspective of who Jesus is. She's the only person that can call God her son in a real way, right? I mean, to, to be able to hold him as an infant, this is a profound mystery that nobody else was given the grace to have. You know, uh, St. Joseph as well, right? So these are both people that we can have as powerful intercessors, right? Because right after Mary, we have St. Joseph as a patron of the church. He's a patron, like you said, a protector of the church. The, uh, the You talked about praying to Mary, and, and I think there's a point of clarification we need to make here, hmm. too. When we pray to God, we do adoration and all sorts of other things. We do not adore Mary. Right. right. We we may tell her that she's, that you know, that we really love, I'm grateful for everything that she's done. We know that she mm-hmm. has a very prominent place, but we don't adore her. Right. We're we're grateful for what God has done in her and what God has chosen her to do. And th- and that's a reality we have to honor there. It's God, this is God's plan, right? This is God's choice to, to give us a mother, to give us a powerful intercessor. I mean, th- this is very Catholic, right? I mean, our saints, it's not like when we die, everyone's disconnected from one another like like St. Paul says, like nothing can separate us from Christ, right? And if we're one with Christ, we're identified with Christ, it doesn't end when we leave this earth, right? I mean, this would be a disjointed way of looking at our faith that all of a sudden, you know, after we die, we're just dead. Like God's God of the living, right? So it's there's a reality here that Mary helps us uncover and the communion of saints helps us uncover. And that communion of saints is so important because Absolutely. Our, our, our people on earth, whether they're Catholic or not Catholic, are— are willing to ask somebody to pray for them. Right. I mean, And why, why not ask somebody who's closer to God than we are right that's now? That's right. That's right. There's this real um, distrust that comes across in this, that there's this disjointedness in Christ himself. Like, uh, we're identified with Christ. We're incorporated into him. We're one with him. So this is carrying so, this out. So Mary is the one that helps us to do that more 
fully. That's right. She she gave him flesh, right, in a real, substantial way, right? And she helps us receive the incarnate word into our very lives. We've got a little bit over a minute before we have to do a wrap-up. Is there anything in particular that you would like to say in that last minute that I've taken so much of your time for everything that can you I, wanted to say? Can sure. I just recite another piece of this poem? Sure. All right, real quick. So this is the Annunciation by Denise Levertov again. Called to a destiny more momentous than any in all of time, she did not quail. Only asked a simple, how can this be? And gravely, courteously, took to heart the angel's reply, the astounding ministry she was offered, to bear in her womb infinite weight and lightness, to carry in hidden finite inwardness nine months of eternity, to contain in slender vase of being the sum of power in narrow flesh the sum of light, then bring to birth, push out into air, a man-child needing, like any other, milk and love, but who was God. Wow. And that's just a beautiful reflection. We've got 30 seconds. What would you like to say to wrap this up? I would like to say that um, Mary is truly our mother in the Lord, and we share, and we should rejoice in the fact that Christ uh, chose for us uh, her as our mother and as a model of our faith, and we should we should um, not fear her and not not fear to give her any attention or to love her because who loves her more than her son? And we we would be honoring Christ by reverencing his mother. Okay. So what what can we do? What can we do today to make that happen? I think it's important to understand that the the reality of what the rosary can offer us in a, in a real way. I mean, Pope Leo XIII wrote eight encyclicals on rosary. I mean, we're to meditate on Christ's life through, along with our mother, with our mother holding our hand. It's not just rote prayer. It's a way to meditate on the mysteries of Christ with our mother. It's praying alongside her. And that's a beautiful thing to take into your home, into your life, with your kids, um, and trust in, in, in Christ's desire for your heart and his desire for you to have a mother, because that fulfills a longing we have. Um, and he provides. And, right? and the joyful mysteries are the words that really talk about Mary more than anything. That's right. That's right. So thank you so much, thank Adam. You, I appreciate thank you, you being here. I'm going to have to invite you back, because we never get to finish what we're having to say. <laughs> so, I would love to. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much. And uh, so we're going to go, and I thank you for t- listening to us today. I'm Gene Wilhelm, and I thank again my guest, Adam Earhart. And remember, when choosing between the values of the world and the values of heaven, always round up. 